Welcome to the Rise Up series. This is a series for men. The world is knocking men down and trying to keep them from their God-ordained purpose, to lead others out of darkness and into the light. Every man knows what it feels like to get knocked down, but not every man knows how to get back up again. And if a man gets knocked down enough times, he may even stop trying to get back up again. This series is intended to help men stand against the onslaught from the culture that might knock them down and will help those men who have been knocked down to get back up again. God has called you to a higher purpose. Welcome to Rise Up. Rise up, challenging men to live up to God's calling. So if you have your Bible this morning, turn to Acts chapter 26. In chapter 26 of Acts, Paul is standing before King Agrippa. And um, he's giving a defense. Uh, the Jews, the religious Jews, had accused Paul of being a criminal. But after two years... Uh, the Romans still hadn't figured out what crime he had committed, and um, they um, will shortly be sending him off to see Caesar, and, um, and then he will um, ultimately stand before Caesar, and will eventually, most people believe, was released after that at some point. So last time we looked at Paul's description of his meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, radical time that, when he met Jesus. Jesus had knocked Paul off of his donkey and onto the dirt, humbled him in such a way that Paul actually could hear um, Jesus speaking to him. It's what it took to get him there. And then Jesus then told him to get up and stand on his feet. And getting knocked down was the only way that Paul was going to hear what Jesus said. It was the only way he was gonna hear God's great plan for him. That's okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. These guys, they're talking back here. So I'm, you know, I, I don't like being out of the conversation. So kidding. Kidding. Yeah, that's something else. Don't worry about it. All right. Now, in this life, we're going to get knocked down, right? Somebody say, yes, we know that. That happens. We get knocked down. And lots of things can cause it. I mean, that's life. Um, our sin, other people's sin, um, God can do it when he needs to get our attention. Um, there's lots of ways that it might happen. But as men of God, it is not our place to stay down. That, that, that's not what we're supposed to do. If we get knocked down, I believe Jesus would say to us, just as he said to Paul, rise and stand on your feet. And so we're going to pick up this account in uh, where we left off last time, and we're going to start in verse 19 as Paul is continuing his defense of, um, of you know, who he is and what he does, and he's doing this before King Agrippa. So verse 19 of Acts 26, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not, <clears throat> excuse me, disobedient to the heavenly vision. Last time, we looked at the fact that God made us on purpose and with a purpose. And we discussed that there's two different 
types of purposes. There's a, a general purpose or calling, if you want to call it that, general purpose and a specific purpose. General purposes are those that are common to all. That, that you know, there there are general purposes that are, that are that are common to all men. There's ones that are common to all women. There's ones that are common to children. There's ones that are common to husbands and wives and whatever other title we might have. There are these general purposes that apply to all. Uh, as believers, there's a general purpose for all believers. You know that it's uni they're universal purposes, but there are also specific purposes or callings that are unique to individual believers. You know, I shared that my specific purpose is to be the primary shepherd here at Calvary Chapel French Valley. That's my my specific primary purpose. I can also I can also uh, refine that and have little you know elements that are attached to that, but that's the primary purpose. And one of the things I encouraged you last month is to spend a little time and and to reflect upon that and to think about that and start the process of identifying what your specific purpose is. We all, I believe we all have one. Um, they may not be grand, they may not be great, they may not be some you know, monumental thing, but we have to find a way of defining who we are in Christ in a very specific way that God made me, he put me on this earth, he put me in this place to do this thing. You know, the, you know, the whatever that might be. We look at you know, Chuck Smith, if you, as you look at Chuck Smith's life, we've been talking about him this morning, you look at Chuck Smith's life, you know, that you can see there was this, this, this process of moving and, and preparing and equipping and, and, his, and his vision and his, his calling over time refined and expanded and, and, and got clearer and clearer as he went on. He, he was, when he, you know, moved from this place to that place, he wasn't going it to do what he ended up doing, but because that's what God was leading him and guiding him. He does the same thing with us. As he leads and guides us through this life, that as we're going along, he's doing these things to prepare us for whatever it is he's created us for. And so we have to we have to be diligent to try to find an answer to that because if we don't, then we might just wander aimlessly going to one place and one thing and whatnot. You know, I look at Kevin and Kevin is, you know, he's the men's ministry guy. You know, if I were to, to, to work with him with a, you know, help him with that, that's, we would refine that and it would be something about the men's ministry. That would be the thing. Um, you know, each of us has something and we need to identify that because when we do that, then we know where to apply our energy. We need to apply our, apply our focus and when we know what to ignore. You know, if I, you know, if I come to Kevin and say, Kevin, I want to talk to you about the, uh, I don't know, pick a ministry, the hospitality ministry. Kevin would say, uh, uh, no, that's not, that's not, that's not me. That's not what I am. That's not my calling. Now, as a servant, he would do anything I asked him to do. Uh, but, but, you know, if he was going to apply his energy somewhere, I would rather him apply his energy where God has called him <clears throat> and gifted him. That's where we want to do that. And so, so those are the things we, we, it's good for us to do that and, and, and know, and be, be comfortable with the idea that you don't have the answer to that question or that, that thing right now. It, it takes time. You know, it takes time for us to do that. You know, if, if we were to have 
Kevin share, we would know that it wasn't something he just woke up one morning and said, I'm the men's ministry guy. It was something that took time. There was experience. There was different, different things that came and went in his life, people that came and went in his life that helped to shape and mold this, this calling, reveal this calling to him. So I really encourage you to, to do that. Paul knew his purpose. In Galatians 1, 15 and 16, it says this, when it had pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I really, I really like this verse because it says a couple of things to us. First off, it tells us what his primary ministry was and that was to preach the gospel to Gentiles, non-Jews. But I also want you to notice where the calling began, in the womb. That his calling was not something that came late in life. It was something God started working in him from the womb. And I believe that's true for all of us, that every bit of our life leads us up to something, some, some, re, some calling, some purpose, some, something that just moves us to 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 be what we are created to be for God. Paul's, Paul's ministry was later refined. Um, we see in Romans 15, 20 and 21. And so I have made it my aim, Paul speaking, to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written to whom he has not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So Paul believe that he was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to non-Jews. As a Jew, a, a born Jew, he was called to preach to non-Jews. And not just non-Jews, uh, not to just the Gentiles, but Gentiles who had never heard of Christ. And so he was to go into the, you know, into the, in the wastelands of, of pagan idolatry and, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, there's, there's a lot there. One of the things you draw out of that, also out of that verse, is it says that he's actually quoting something out of the Old Testament, saying that he is fulfilling, in essence, a prophecy that was made thousands, hundreds of years, at least hundreds of years prior, that somehow he was connected to that prophecy. And if we look at that, we can all see, within scripture, we can see our calling laid out for us, and sometimes, you know, thousands of years before Christ. So this series is about challenging men to live up to God's calling, to rise up. Uh, we live in a time where men are, men are not, you know, they're, I, you know, I feel sorry for a lot of the men that are, they're coming up in this, this new generation, the generation, you know, the kids and the, and the young adults that are out there because they, they, they may not have good role models, and the culture that they're being exposed to is so non-masculine that um, it's going to make them really make it really hard for them to fulfill even their basic callings, even their general callings as men are going to be hard for them, and they need men that will stand up and help them, and I believe that's who we are. So once you have an idea what your calling is, what should you do? Do your calling. You should do whatever that thing is. 
you know, and, and so the, the reality is we have to identify it, but once we identify it, we need to move forward. We need to, we need to go. And I, you know, I've, admit, I've ministered to men, you know, over the years, and I, I know Kevin probably has too. They'll come and they'll say, this is who I am. This is what I believe my calling is. And we'll say, well, okay, good, go do it. And, and, you know, and then they'll try and they're not getting anywhere. And often it's because their calling is their dream and not their calling. And so, but I always encourage them to go try anyways, because maybe it is your calling. And if it isn't your calling, fine, let's figure that out. And then we'll make an adjustment and we'll figure out what your calling really is. But the point is we need to be doing something. Even if you're doing the wrong thing for the right reason, just do something. You know, the, uh, my old pastor, you say, God can't steer a parked car. And so you got to get the thing moving. If you get moving, we can be steered into the right direction. So Paul says here, I was not disobedient to the heavenly <clears throat> vision. Most of us won't get our calling. We won't receive our calling via a heavenly vision, right? Anybody, anybody get, you know, an angel show up and, and knock you on the ground and say, this is what you, nobody? I, I figured Chuck might, but okay, I guess not. No, we, we won't get it that way. We'll get it a different way. As a matter of fact, that, that's a very narrow, very small group of people that have, have had these heavenly visions, these heavenly, you know, encounters with, you know, spiritual beings to, to un, unfold those things. For most of us, it's a, it's a slow, methodical, and tedious sometimes process of unfolding, unpacking, and realizing what it is. But our response regardless how we get it, is exactly the same. We must obey. Obedience is always the only right response when we know what God's calling us to do. And the next verse tells us how obedient Paul was. In verse 20, it says this, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Acts 9 tells us when Paul started to fulfill his calling. In Acts 9, after he was blinded by Christ on the road to Damascus, went into Damascus, three days there, he's blind, Ananias comes, lays hands on, heals him, and then what's the very first thing that Paul does? He goes and preaches the gospel to the Jews. I mean, immediately he is preaching the gospel and, and, trying, and teaching them, hey, that, that this, this Jesus that I've been trying to destroy, you know, is actually the Messiah. And let me show you in our scriptures where that's true. And he was, he was radical. I would love to have heard his preaching. I'm sure it was amazing. So Paul got started right away and then he kept going. Guys, when should we start being obedient to God's calling upon our lives? Now. It has to be immediate. Well, what if I don't fully understand it? That doesn't matter. If you have any inkling what it might be, start. And if you don't know what it is, just start doing something. You know, as, as we serve God, we open ourselves up and make ourselves available to God. When we do that, then he, he makes a way for us to, to get to where he's trying to get us to. 
but we have to start doing something. Yeah, you, know, you know, if somebody, I, I want to serve God, you know, what do I do? You know, and we'll, we'll tell them, you know, well, yeah, go serve back there in the sound ministry. Go serve in the children's ministry. Go, go help with setting up signs. Do something. Help clean up the parking lot. Whatever. Pick, do something and watch God work because he always does. We must learn to be obedient immediately to these things. And how obedient? Well, we see in Paul's case, he was fully obedient, fully obedient to the calling. Paul knew he was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, specifically to the Gentiles, and, and where Christ had not been named before. Now, it doesn't mean he taught only the Gentiles, because we know everywhere he went, he went into the synagogues and ministered to the Jews, but that wasn't his primary calling. And the same thing is true of all of us. We'll get called, you know, to a specific thing, but then, hey, when God needs a servant, who does he look to? His servants. And if you're, if you're, you're a servant of God, then you're going to do whatever God calls you to do, even if it's not in my calling. You know, as, as the pastor of the church, you know, what's outside of my calling? Uh, nothing. If it's, if it's related to this building, it's, you know, it's my responsibility, even though I, Kevin would tell me that there are certain things I should just stay away from because he'll have to come back in and fix them later. But that's another conversation. We're not getting into that right now. You know, what if you don't know what your what if you don't know what your calling is? What if you don't have a you, you don't have a specific idea of calling? Mine is to teach, mine to teach and to preach. I, that's one of my specific callings. What if you don't know that? Well, you do have general callings that you should be faithful to, you know, and that we should be fully faithful to them. If you're a husband, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Are you doing that fully? Are you doing it now? If you're a father or a grandfather, are you fulfilling that general calling of doing that as an employee or as a retiree? You know, I don't know who you're responsible to. You're not, okay. <laughs> I really want to go off on a tangent right now. I'm not going to. Now, how about verses like this one? First Peter five, six, and seven. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. How quickly are you turning to God when your world catches fire? How quickly are you turning to God, humbling yourself before him when, when your emotions get all rustled up? How quickly are you saying to God, I need your help here because I am lost. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do right now. How quickly are we turning to him? That's a way that we can, that we can be obedient. Or how about this one? Ephesians 4, 27 and 20, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. How well... Are you controlling your emotions? You know, we, a name pops up and all of a sudden these weird emotions start popping up. Yeah, how well are you handling that? Anger, frustration, resentment, discouragement, maybe even fear of the future, whatever they are. These, these emotions that the Bible, in essence, tells us are wrong. Tells us that, that we, should not, we should not allow those feelings to have any control over us. That doesn't mean the emotion is wrong, 
But it's wrong if those emotions have any control over us. That's what's wrong. If they are influencing our behavior, those emotions can open the door for the devil to come and wreck your life through sin. That's in essence what God told Cain back in Genesis 4-7 after he was up, Cain was upset that God didn't accept his sacrifice. Genesis 4-7 says this, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Well, what's implied in that is that what he had done before was not well, was not good, was not right. And he goes on, if you do not do well, like you did with your sacrifice, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. When we make a mistake, we need to own our mistake. We need to confess our mistake. We need to repent of our mistake and we need to turn away from it and do what's right. But we can't allow those emotions that are gonna come because we're emotional beings we can't allow those emotions to control us. They're just going to lead us into something that is wrong and dark and sin. We fully obey God when we exercise the spiritual gift of self-control. You realize that's a spiritual gift, right? Who, does, who gets the gift of self-control? Anyone with the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the gift of self-control. The fact that you're not controlling yourself is not a is not an indictment on the Holy Spirit. It's an indictment on your heart, and we need to recognize that. If you're not controlling yourself, it's because you're not allowing God, the Holy Spirit, to help you control yourself. We need to keep our emotions in check. Every time you read your Bible, and how often do we say you should read your Bible? Every day, every day. We're going to say it. We're going to say it until there stops being days. As long as there, as long as the sun comes up. Tomorrow, we're gonna to keep saying, read your Bible every day. You need to read your Bible every day. And, and as we're doing that, we ought to be asking God to show us areas where we can be obedient, where we can be obedient that day, where maybe we have not been obedient in the past, but we can repent of that and be obedient today to obey him fully in whatever it is. I, I promise you, if you have any kind of a reading plan, it doesn't matter where you're reading, there's something in there for you today. Even Leviticus and Numbers, there's something in there for you today. God is looking for men to rise up. And one of the primary traits of those men is obedience. Not half-hearted, not unwilling, but fully engaged obedience in whatever area they're in, whatever general purpose they have, whatever specific purpose they have, whatever it is they were created to do by God, that they're doing that in full obedience to him. Well, how do I know if I'm being fully obedient? Well, because you're reading your Bible and you're in community with, with God through prayer and your community with God's people and you're actively serving him in some way, you're gonna know. God was able to use Paul in a radical way because he was radically obedient. And the same thing is true for us. You wanna be used in a radical way? Be radically obedient. When you, op when you sense God opening a door, you put your foot in. But what if I don't know how it's gonna turn out? Well, God opened the door for you. 
So he's got a pretty good idea how it's going to turn out, and he's capable of carrying you through whatever it is that he takes you into. Paul's obedience did not come without resistance. Verse 21, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Keep your finger in Acts 26 and turn to 2 Corinthians 11. About the greatest fear that I have when I'm preaching my sermons is that I might get canceled on YouTube or somebody might make a mean comment about me on social media. That's about as dangerous it is, you know, my service to God is. Even even when I try to love Kelly as Christ loved the church, if Kelly's not happy about something while I'm trying to love her, while unpleasant, her displeasure is not going to cause me to bleed, usually. You know, it's not that bad. Me being fully obedient to God comes at very low risk. Paul, on the other hand, knows what might happen when you're fully obedient to Christ and his calling upon your life. In 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 25, three times, actually, let me back it up, um, to verse 23, um, are they minister Christ? I speak more, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes more uh, above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have, in, I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Not only did Paul fully obey his calling, he did it fearlessly. There, you read some of the accounts of Paul and what he did. It's just, it's just remarkable to me. You know, personally, if after preaching a sermon, the church decided and drug me out into the parking lot and stoned me, I might be rethinking my life choices about my calling in the ministry. Not Paul. That happened to Paul. They stoned Paul. They drug him out, threw him into the trash heap. And what does he do? He stands up, he dusts himself off, and he goes back into the town fearlessly. Turn back to Acts 26. What are we afraid of that keeps us from doing God's will, from, from fulfilling God's purpose in our life? What are we afraid of? If you can look at that list in 2 Corinthians 11, and say, well, some of those might happen to me. I would be, I would be greatly surprised if any of those are going to happen to you. 
If that's not going to happen to you, what is? What might happen if you just surrender your entire life to Christ and you are radically obedient to his call on your life and you do what he's calling you to do? What is the worst thing that could happen? I was talking to a brother just a couple of days ago and, and uh, he's struggling with that. And he's in the ministry, not ours, he's in another ministry, and he's struggling because he's having a conflict with one of the board members of his church. And, and he's, he's afraid that there's a possibility that he could lose his job. And I, I asked him, I, I said, did God call you to do it? And what are you afraid of? If, if, if it is possible, and if it does happen, does is not God bigger than that board member? Is he not, is he not bigger than your job? Does he not love your family because he's concerned about what might happen to his family? Is he not better and greater and stronger and, and more able to provide for your family than you are? What must we do? We must trust. God calls us to great things. And is there a possibility there might be risk if we do something great for God? Sure, might be. But if it's, if it's what God's calling us to do, God is bigger than any risk that we might encounter. Are you afraid of what your family or friends or coworkers or customers or suppliers or whatever might think of you if you are radically faithful and obedient to God? Are you afraid of what your boss might do? Paul fully obeyed God, fearlessly doing God's will, not his own, not his own. If you know what God wants you to do, nothing, 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 anyone thinks, says, or does should stand in the way of you doing it. Nothing. If it's God's will, if it's God's purpose for your life, then it must be your primary thing. Now, we need to do what God says, but we need to do it like Christ would do it because sometimes we can do what God says in a way that is wicked and unholy, but we can do it. It's a matter of faith, believing that God can carry us through and get us to the other side of whatever it is that he's calling us to do. Paul knew every time he preached in a new place that there was a chance that it wasn't gonna go well and that one of these things we see described and I mean after you know after you get you know beaten you know 40 lashes minus one once you know you're not looking forward to the second time or the third time or the multiple times that he was beaten with rods or whatever jailed and all those different things you don't look forward to any of those things but he wasn't afraid of them either he knew he knew that whatever it might be it would be temporary he'd get through it he'd heal from it and then he'd be stronger and he'd move on. Can you imagine? I mean, here he is standing before King Agrippa and knowing, he hadn't done all of those things yet, but some of those things that already happened to him, knowing that, you know, it didn't matter what King Agrippa decided. Ultimately, that didn't matter. He was going to do his best to, to fulfill his calling and not end up, you know, beheaded, which he would eventually, but not right away. Um, he just, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. You know, whatever comes, 
If this is what God wants me to do, this is what God wants me to say, if this is what God's, where he wants me to go, I'm going to do that. I'm going to trust him to deal with all the other stuff that comes with that. Listen, if you, if you fearlessly do what God says, you may get a beating. You may have to take a beating or two, but God's bigger than that. And if we're real men, we ought to be able to take a beating, right? I mean, should, shouldn't that be true? We should be able to take, you know, even a physical beating. Not, not that it's very likely in our time and culture, but the reality is we ought to be, we ought to be able to take one and not be so afraid that we're not going to obey God because something bad might happen to us. That's not man. That's not manly. That's not masculine. That's not what God's men ought to be. God can carry us through whatever comes as a result of our obedience, and we ought to be willing to endure it. You remember the time there was the account of, right, matter of fact, coming up in the next chapter, I think it is, of Acts. Paul is um, on a ship headed to Rome, and a big storm comes, and it's bad. I mean, it, the ship will end up being wrecked. Um, and in the midst of this storm, an angel appears to Paul and says, hey, don't worry about it. You're gonna, you and everybody on this, on this ship are going to get through this. And Paul believed, and that's exactly what happened. He knew that no matter how bad it was, that he can get through it. And so you see the way he related to the captain and whatnot. Hey, we can do this. We can get through this. Wherever God's will leads you to, his grace will lead you through. Wherever his grace leads you to, wherever his will leads you to, his grace will lead you through. Believe it. That means we can live fearless lives. We can just go. If God points us in that direction, we don't have to understand it. We don't have to see the end of it. All I need to know is that's the way to go. If God calls us to go into a dark, scary forest filled with monsters, what should we do? Go. Go. God is bigger and stronger than anything we might face. And even if we do take a beating along the way, he's bigger and stronger than that, too. He can get us through it. And remember, I mean, Paul took several beatings. And what did he do? He kept going. He'd go to the next town, and he'd do it again. God is looking for men who will be fully obedient, even if it means they take a figurative beating along the way. I recently had a man contact me about a dilemma he was facing. He had jury duty and had been chosen to sit on a jury um, pool um, for a, a, a case that he was particularly distasteful to him. And so he called me as he was wondering just how far he could stretch the truth to get out of it. And he was not surprised that my answer was, uh, well, why don't you just tell the truth and trust God? And, and he says, I knew you were gonna say that. Okay, well, you called me. <laughs> so, and, and, then, and then, you know, he get, he, so he goes and he's resigned himself. I, I don't know if he, what he was actually gonna do if he actually got, you know, down to the place where he was after having to answer questions. But before they got to him, they actually selected the jury and dis dismissed him along with everybody else. So he never even, never even got a chance to test himself. But the point was that, you know, when we start having those thoughts, that, that was, those are unholy thoughts. Those are wrong thoughts. You know, our choice should always be God, you know, hey, we're living in a country where 
we as citizens are called periodically to sit on juries. That's our responsibility, it's our duty as citizens of this country, of this state, and, and we have to trust God. Now, he had, he had reasons why, and there were some, there, you know, some of his reasons were valid, and, and I could say, okay, I can see why you say that, but if you have to stretch the truth to get to that, it's just wrong. It's just tell the truth and trust God, and he did, and, and God took care of him. If God is God, somebody say he is, and we are his people, say we are, and we are seeking his will, we as men must be fearless. If we're not fearless, who will be? Will our wives be fearless? Not likely, not likely. Will our children be fearless? Well, they are, but not in the right way, usually. Our young children, <clears throat> well, even some of our adult children. God appreciates it when his men show up when life is easy. When life is easy and they show up, he says, oh, okay, that's nice. But he is most pleased is by men who rise up and obey when it will cost them something, when it is hard to do. Paul was fully and fearlessly obedient to God's calling upon his life. And we get to the final trait of Paul's obedience in, verses, in the next verses, verses 22 and 23. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses would, said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and will proclaim the light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Even after everything that Paul had been through, you know, he remained faithful to God's calling. Even as he stands there before the Roman rulers, <clears throat> Agrippa and the others, they're deciding his fate, they're deciding what they're going to do with him. He faithfully tells them about Christ and the hope he has in the resurrection. Trusting God is not something we do when, when it feels like we, like we feel like we want to. You know, when, when, when it feels safe or it feels whatever. Being faithful to God is something we just must be. It just must be the natural response of our lives. Trusting God must be our default position. That whatever comes up, the very first thing I have to do is, do I trust God in this area? Do I or do I not trust God in this area? I got a bill I can't pay. Do I trust God to provide for me? Yes or no? And it has to be that simple, yes or no. If I trust him, then I'm gonna be okay with it. I don't know how I'm going to solve the problem. I don't know how I'm going to get to the other side of it, but I trust him. And I'm going to, and if he wants me to do something different than what I'm doing, he's going to tell me that. It's unlikely that any of us are going to have to stand, you know, before the powers that be and worry about our fate, right? Anybody worried about, you know, you being arrested tomorrow because you're a Christian and having to defend yourself as a Christian? No, none of us. Even I don't worry about that. Um, chances are of it happening are pretty small. It's possible. It's possible it could happen. I could, you know, I got canceled. I got canceled on YouTube once. So, you know, who knows what might happen next? But I don't worry about it. 
if it happens, okay, I might have to make some choices and decisions. I might have to decide what I'm going to do next, but I don't lie awake at night thinking, oh, what if I get arrested? I don't worry about it. If I do, God will be there with me. I will trust him in that. It's far more likely for us that we'll face greater tests with temptations to sin that relentlessly assault our soul. Relentlessly, the temptations are there. Are we going to be faithful to God as they come? Will we be faithful? Will we be faithful as we sit alone in front of our computer or with our cell phone? Will we be faithful to God? Whatever our temptation is, maybe to boast or to uh, tell a little white lie or to compromise just a little bit on something. Paul gives us an example to follow. And then he was following Christ's example. Men, as the world needs men who will seek God until they know what God's will is for their lives, their, their, his specific will for their lives. And they won't give up until they find it. They won't rest until they know it. And then once they know it, they will fully, fearlessly, and faithfully obey. No matter what comes, no matter how hard it is, no matter what, what other people say about it, that they just fully, fearlessly, and faithfully obey God's will. The world's a dark and wicked place. It needs the light of Christian men standing up. Because right now we're living in a world where men, men are not standing up. They're letting the world push them down. They're letting the world knock them down. They're letting the world hold them down. And there's not a Christian man on earth that ever belongs in that place. We have, we have God, the Holy Spirit in us. Every last one of us can stand up, can rise up and be men. Be the kind of men that God called us to be. We can live in the light of Christ and in the hope of his resurrection. The only way this world is going to see Jesus and obtain the hope that we have is to see God's men standing up. Now, women need to do it too, but men need to do it first. We need to rise up and fully, fearfully, fearlessly, and faithfully obey God's will for our lives. Amen? Rise up, men of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and this place. We bless you, Lord God, that you love us so much that you would give us your word that we might know you. And as men of God, Lord, we, we have the, the, the great radical example of Paul to, to model our lives off, off of. And ultimately, our greatest model is Jesus Christ. And so we thank you, Lord God, that we have that. And I pray, Lord God, that as we go from this place and we're continuing in this series, this idea of rising up, Lord, we need, to, we need to get on our feet. And once we're on our feet, we need to know what to do. And so I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to know what it is you're calling us to do. What is our calling? What is our, our purpose? What is, it, what is it we ought to be doing in this evil day, this dark world that we're living in? Lord God, there's evil all around us. 
and you're calling us to be holy. You're calling us to be light. You're calling us to be salt. You're calling us to be men of God. And so I pray, Lord, that as we get ready to depart from this place, that you'd already stir in our hearts a passion to know you better, and then through knowing you better, that we would know what you're calling each of us to do individually. I thank you for these men. I pray for your blessing on them. I pray for those who watch online. And I pray, Lord God, that you would bring more men to this place, that we might grow in strength as, a, as an army of men of God to rise up in this evil day and to let the light of Jesus Christ shine in this community, in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches, in our, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, wherever we go, Lord, let us carry the light of Jesus Christ with us. Lord, help us to be men and to rise up. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us for the Rise Up series. It's our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If you have questions or if there's anything that we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying with you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has blessed you in any way, has been useful to you in any way, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfe.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Jesus.